Welcome to the True Podcast. I'm joined today by David Thorpe and Seth Partner. How are you guys? Who are you? Oh, I'm Henry Abbott. Okay, so here's the deal. David and I have been friends for 750 years, and in that amount of time, we generally agree. We get along fine. Was that fair to say, David? More than fair. Here and there, a little disagreement, um, including a pretty good one. Uh, and I'm just going to set up the story here a little bit. Okay, so, um, and, and Seth is here. We'll talk to you more in a second, Seth, to referee this um, this little disagreement <laughs> we had. Okay. Seth, you don't know him. He's the director of basketball research. He was the director of basketball research for the Bucks. He's the author of the Midrange Theory and is an analyst of basketball at The Athletic. Hi, Seth. Um, Hello. Okay. So on October 27th, which feels so long ago now, before the election, a lot of things have happened. Um, this game ended in a way that really got me thinking. Luca and the Mavericks were visiting the Nets. Luca was amazing. He was totally dominating. But somehow the Nets roared back in the fourth quarter, and with 12 seconds left, Ben Simmons stole the ball from Luca, raced the length of the court, and then he had this little moment that reminded me a little bit of why they hate him in Philly, which is he kind of like didn't want to attack the rim, and he turned his body away from the rim around the free throw line, and Kevin Durant was flying at a million miles an hour, and he just passed it to Durant, and Durant dunked it with eight seconds left to tie the game. Tie game, eight seconds, and I just had this feeling right then that they – the Nets might have screwed that up. Um, I shared this thought with David. And David, do you remember what you said then? It was I, Well, first of all, I want to make sure I heard it clearly. And I said, so you're saying that Durant should not have had taken the absolute wide open dunk to tie the game and elected to dribble back behind three or stop at three to begin with and try to win or lose the game. And you said, yes, that's what I'm contending. So we and agree I, you were a little disrespectful. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I can be, with you, I sometimes show my real personality, which is a little bit disdainful. Of, I'm pretty much skeptical of everything in this world. I tend to hide it pretty good. Mm-hmm. And yes, I, 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 I don't think I called you any names, but, but I thought you were batshit crazy. <laughs> so then, yeah. um, before we bring in our referee, um, I will explain what I was thinking a little bit. You, you made is, a great um, argument, absolutely. So yeah, you absolutely. said, David, that we we actually agreed that we thought maybe the Nets were about if, if the, so. What the Nets could have done down two was like hold for the last shot, shoot right. a three, maybe win the game. And um, I, I'm going to guess that the number some around you guessed that the number was 30 percent that Durant or likely Durant would score in that situation. Um, so I was like, okay, 30 percent. I agree. Um, meanwhile, I'm feeling like it's uh, it's. 50% that the Mavs would score any points with their last eight seconds, right? Plus another 50% that the Mavs would win in overtime. Probably more than 50%. So that's half of half, right? 25% likely the Nets win if they um, score right then. 30% to tie, to tie the game, right. right. And, um, but I'm making up these numbers. You're making up these numbers. We have Seth's actually looked into this with actual data, which is extremely helpful. So later that day, I called Seth and Seth, what did you tell me? Uh, I said, yeah, you, were you wrong, did. But it was, it, it was, but it was, it's actually closer than one might okay. think. Sure. Kind of because of what you're talking yeah. about. Um, just the, the, generally speaking, I'm a big fan of down two going for three. Um, cause overtime means still means you lose half the time. Um, this and this is an, an interesting situation as well because you're also, as you say, leaving time on the clock, so you could lose in regulation, um, which is why uh, a bit not to bounce off of your topic and go to one of my favorites, but it's kind of why sort of the last possession tie game scenario always looks kind of ugly 
but it should because the most important thing really is the ball in the air when the clock expires. Because again, taking losing and regulation right. off the table. So just the fact that it's a dunk that's a 95 plus percent shot makes it too much to overcome for a three-pointer, which as you surmise is probably in that situation in the low 30s. Um, and I think you also slightly overestimated the the likelihood of the Mavs winning in regulation just because over over basically as long as we have reliable play-by-play data, that sort of shot clock off tie game or shot clock off uh, shot to tie or win has been a slightly above a 30% shot for everybody. That's the number. That's the a tie. big difference. That, yeah. like, we suck at that apparently in the NBA, it turns out. We just, yeah. I mean, it's, well, I mean, if you think about it, um, the, the advantage the offense has is the other team doesn't know who, when, and where the shot's going up. Uh, in a last second situation, you got a pretty good idea of when and a very good idea for most teams of who. And that sort of, and the where kind of gets defined by the other two. It's probably going to be somewhere at the top of the floor. So all of the kind of uh, surprise advantages the offense has kind of goes away, go away a little bit. So David was right. Well, to, in, <laughs> yes, yeah. in, in your defense, I, mean, I understood your argument very well. And I think Seth put it really clear uh, that the Durant dunk was such a big deal. It was just, you know, you're not, and he was going full speed. So I would, I would have said 99% and a chance for a foul. Like he, he was trucking. I remember the play very vividly as I know you do, Henry, because we talked about it so much, but to, to something says said about going for three versus two, this is where like I've spent much of my young life as a coach at coaching clinics and as great as the coach, I mean, I saw Dean Smith and, I mean, you could PJ Carlisle, all these great, great clinicians. But the best thing was after hours, Seth. I don't know if you ever went to a coaching clinic where you're with a lot of other coaches. I didn't drink alcohol back then, so I would just eat, have iced tea, and we would talk till two in the morning about X's and O's. It's all, and what we heard, what we've gone through ourselves, whatever. And um, think how smart you'd be if you never started drinking. Yeah, I blame the kids for that. That's yeah. the twins' fault. Yeah. yeah, I have no problem doing that. <laughs> so, so Seth, what we would talk about in that situation, what I've always believed, and this is where coaches differ, is I always want to hunt the best shot possible. So I'll take a two if it's a dunk. If it's my best player, I call it the second box, open, I'll take that. But if he kicks it out for three and it's my job to make sure I've got good shooters on the court, I'm fine with that too. I'm okay with a two or three. I want the best shot possible if the two ties and three wins. I, to force the danger we get into sometimes is if you try if you start giving players a forceful edict, they'll scramble and end up with something pretty bad, you know. And and that goes into the other part of this discussion, Henry and Seth, um, that I think is really fascinating, which is the messaging. And and Seth, I want you to chime in on this because you, you do your job, and our job as coaches is to, in my opinion. Greatly value what you have to say on the pure data numbers part of it. I happen to believe in that very much. I know that you know some coaches don't. I do. And I think I'm right to trust you smart guys and girls. But we also have to message our our players. So there won't be a lot of players, and I said this to you, Henry, in that conversation, who would be fired up to say, oh, we're not going to trust our defense here. We're going to turn down a Kevin Durant wide open dunk. And Henry very smartly responded by saying, well, your job is to sell it better. And I agree with you, Henry. If indeed the math was right, that is your job. 
but but this is a big part of that is getting guys to if you're going to buy into defense every single day that's your only shot to be in my opinion a quality defense and so part of this sales pitch is that and then the last thing on this because seth mentioned it too uh when you talk about two verse three and you eliminate the reason why you take that the shot in the ball in the air is to eliminate losing as an option we're going to be tied or we're going to go overtime. We're not going to lose because they're not going to touch the ball. And you may remember this, Seth, from uh, Kareem's book, Giant Steps, where he tells the story when they're, you know, he's got that long unbeaten streak. They're playing against USC on the road, last game of the regular season. You know, Kareem might be a junior. I don't remember what year it was. And uh, they're up two, and John Wooden tells his team to foul intentionally late in, like, in the last few seconds of the game. And, you know, these players are going to do whatever John Wooden says. But after John Wooden doesn't tell him why. He just says, foul them. We'll win it overtime if they make both. They do. USC makes both free throws. UCLA rolls in overtime. Afterwards, Coach Wooden says, the only way we're losing this game is if they get an and one on a putback on the road. They get a tip in. The refs, we, they, they may call it. We're eliminating that chance. There's no way they're getting the offensive rebound on a second shot miss because we got Kareem in the game and whoever else they had. And it doesn't mean John Wooden was right to do that, but I thought it was interesting. It's the same idea. We're not going to lose on some emotional referee blowing a whistle on a tip-in against this team that we think will kick their ass in overtime. So all those factors, to me, come into stuff beyond just the math. We lost <laughs> Seth. God, right when I was pitching to him. Like, like, like yeah, no, you were really you were like building up Seth there, and then he just went away. David, you – I mean, this was like you were really setting the table here. But what I'll say is while Seth hopefully comes back in, and I hope we don't have to re-record this, but we might have to yeah. because it's going to be at a weird moment. I, as you guys know, I'm all for the data. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we go too far down the rabbit hole, and we there's still the human piece of it, like David's saying. You have to sell it. Like, guys have to believe, like – all right, this is going to be a thing. And, it's, and that, yes, that comes down to coaching and how many, I mean, David, you say it every week on the show. Yeah. Teams are bad. They don't cut, right? Coaches don't do that. So how am I going to yeah. all of a sudden do this thing? <laughs> yeah. Look, all Seth's right. here. Um, we're pitching to you, Seth. Wait, are we okay? Is John, do you think we're okay to pick up here? Uh, We should be okay to pick okay. it up here. Okay. All right, Seth. So there's a lot to un- unpack there. First of all, uh, it's interesting you brought up the fouling up too. That's something that's that's kind of coming back a little bit. Yeah, I know there's been stories of uh, Todd Golden. My well, uh, Todd Golden's assistant, who I've mentored for a decade, Jonathan Sapphire. It was his idea. Very yep. smart guy. Yeah, yep. Florida. Yeah, for Todd. Um, so there's something Henry said that that I agree with. Um, Yay! I put a slight I put a slight twist on. And something you said, Coach, that I want to disagree with. Come on, oh, let's go. Yeah, double yay. So, let's go. Yeah, so let, let, with the hen, with the, we'll starting with Henry first. Um, okay. It's not it's, a bitch. It's, <laughs> Sorry, Seth. We're go adults, ahead. I promise. Go We're totally ahead, adults. We actually have our own podcast. That's how adult we are. Yeah. Okay. Ahead, anyway. That's a high bar to clear. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, Henry, you said, you know, it's, 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 it's Coach's job to message it. That's part of it, but it's also um, – almost taking the decision away from the players and just putting them in the situations where their basketball inclinations lead them to do the thing that is analytically indicated. Mm -hmm. Now in a situation like, you know, guy coming down on a breakaway, maybe there's, maybe there's something else that might be a better, but there's, there's, (laughs) Uh you're not, you're not, you're not overcoming, you know, 20 some years of basketball training with anything 
that 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 you know any messaging so that's just you got to let that go but if it's a situation where you kind of have a you know you you're 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 putting in a scheme you're running a play you're doing whatever like those are situations where if you design it well the right thing will happen because the players will get the ball in the situation where okay well we want a three here so we got Kevin Durant the ball on the wing behind the arc because that that's how the play was designed um the thing I want to disagree with is you talked about getting the best shot. Yeah. And this is a, this is a key point w- at the end of the game. Usually the, for most of the game, really what you're trying to do is maximize how much you score on a given possession. Of course. You're, you're trying to maximize the, the, the point differential that's created every time you have the, you know, every time you kind of trade the ball off that's between right. you and the opposition end of game that changes slightly because really what you're doing all the, all the whole game is trying to maximize your chances of winning the game. And for the first 46 and a half minutes of an NBA game, there's basically no difference between what is maximizing the points per possession here and what is maximizing your win probability. That changes a lot at the end of the game when the difference between being tied or being up, being up two, being up three, being up one, being up two, those are big swings in probability. And so that those are situations where just, you know, you're, you're trying to find, you're trying to maximize your ability to get to a, a, a profitable game state almost rather than necessarily caring. I mean, the best example obviously is, you know, a tie game, uh, a, a, you know, a two might, a three might be higher, higher points per possession, but you don't care about whether you win by two or three. You just care if you win. So like in that situation, you're going for literally the highest percentage shot, not the highest effective shot, percentage shot. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that while your, your, your intuition is, is largely correct, there, this specific set of circumstances we're talking about does sort of change the goals. Just that's that little bit slightly. That that make the decision a little bit different than it would be for forty six and a half minutes. So we so don't just disagree. Say it back all. to you a different way. Yeah. Uh, David was totally wrong, and I was right. No, 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 no. We <laughs> completely. No, Seth, we completely agree. No, you're not disagreeing with me at all. Uh, so as an example, I'd rather have Durant take a contested fourteen footer than almost anyone else on my team taking an open shot, because not only does Durant, I think, have a very good chance to make the shot because it's almost impossible to contest it. He also has a chance to get fouled, and he's Kevin Durant. And so if you sneeze on him or blink at or wink at him, they might call it, whereas the, the second or third-year player who's open from 17 feet uh, is not going to get anything. He's just wide open. He makes a misses. That's it. That, that's all part of the math I'm talking about. The best shot is when it's a tie game or we're down one or even down two just to score. That's all I'm saying. Is, and so I'm, I'm a, I, I, I always tell my players, we run a monarchy here, not a, not a uh, democracy. So you want to be the king, be able to score against anybody, right? So I'm a big believer in, in that part of the best shot philosophy too. My only point is if you say I'm going for a three, but I'm giving up twos to allow you to tie the game and I'm doing a great job of guarding that three, I think if you tell your team we got to get a three to win the game, there's no guarantee you're going to get a good shot on that. I think they're better off just taking the two, you know? No, And again, I think that's a spot where you design the play where the first couple options are for three, but sure. like the counter – the counter right. is like, okay, if, if you know, I don't think a, a Brad Stevens is really the only NBA coach I've seen really do this consistently, which is in an opponent needs a three situation, just kind of have all five defenders play on the outside rather than the inside of, 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 yeah. 
Um, yeah, so, so it, kind of top locking those guys yeah, and forcing yeah, exactly. them to go towards the and, rim. And, yeah, and if, and if you go to the basket and you get a shoot a left, fine. Yeah, but in, in a situation where you can get like a slip to the basket or something like yeah. that, have that be part of the play. But if you're going to go for a two, make it a legit like you know right. 70, 80, 90 percent shot. Not a lot of the times that that uh, um, anyone who's sort of uh, followed along with me before knows how much I love the as I call it the quack two, like so much so like. The, you know the well we're down we're down four we don't need a three here right and so the the, the two-point shot is is often neither quick nor a two because it's a <laughs> it's a tough shot that takes 10 seconds to develop um your so, book but if the, you the design the plate the yeah. mid-range theory, you have this thing called end of game nonsense <laughs> this is what you're talking about right yes exactly yeah. <laughs> and i think that that we 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 tend to overvalue Oh yeah, sure. We can get we can get a layup here, and you know, maybe you can. But if you can get a layup here, why aren't you running the play to get that same layup the whole time? So you're not like down late in the game. You know why are well, you saving it? Right, but that but that brings up so the best play you'll see end of game situations, and and I I I have a, a former assistant who sends me every single day, seven days a week, the best uh, ATOs from the night before. Uh, five minutes of tape, pretty much every single day on my cell phone. It's, I don't watch all five minutes every single day. I can tell you that. I used to want to do that. I don't do that. I'm not in that business anymore. Uh, but the best thing, that, the best play you can see when a team is, uh, when a team is uh, up three and the other team has the ball late in the game, and I'm just making sure they don't get a three, run, run, a, run a dribble handoff at the three-point line to your best driver and have your best shooter come off for the handoff. They're going to go. Everyone's going to go to that shooter. And they, you're going to fake the handoff where Zach Lowe calls it a, a, like a fake, a, like a, a quarterback keeper. Keep it, keep it, yeah. And you'll dunk, and, it's, and they score in one second all the time. Pop's the first guy that used to always do that, and they scored in one second all the time. Uh, but whereas over the course of a game, you're not going to defend it that way, right? Doesn't mean you won't be effective. You're, you're not wrong, Seth. You should be running your best actions more. This is, this is part of the problem I think we have sometimes in our league is we tend to get away from our best actions for all the reasons that we've always talked about selfishness, money deals, contract, all those things are in play. There's a lot of actions that are really hard to guard that teams don't run nearly enough. And to finish that thought, when I have, when I help G league point guard, Seth, I literally tell them this, you'll laugh. I'll say when in doubt, just call for a ball screen because no one in that league knows how to defend it. So if you can cook your guy, these, some of these guys are so talented with the ball. Great. Don't waste time trying to cook a guard. Get the switch that you want if a team is switching. If they're not switching, always go to ball screen action because no one in that league has a clue how to defend it. And yet you watch G League, which unfortunately, as my cohorts here were enjoying World Cup action, I'm watching G League tape and everything. I have to pay attention to all this stuff. These guys aren't using these best actions that are so hard to guard any level, much less a level where a bunch of 21-year-olds are playing. I have no clue how to defend ball screens. This episode of True Hoop is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey guys, Gerard from True Hoop here. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do? It's a hell of a question. Would you maybe go for a run, take a nap, read a book, or maybe show up for a friend? Now, depending on the day, any one of those would be a great idea. Most of us spend our lives wishing we had more time, but the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Now, I've been open in the past with you guys about this. I see a personal therapist as well as a couple therapists from my partner and I. 
and both are extremely helpful in developing positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TrueHoop today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TrueHoop. Seth, do you have any view on ball screens in the G League? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, I have no, no strong thoughts about. It. Um, other, other than I just remember um, Henry. Do you remember when we did a we, we you and I and Dave Dufour and Amina mm-hmm. Hassan uh, mm-hmm. uh, did a did a podcast at uh, Sloan uh, right before right in twenty twenty right before the pandemic, and he was it's recording in a random hallway. I kind of like yeah, that. recording in a yeah. random hallway, and he yeah. and he was uh, sort of too. Uh, um, can we can we swear on this pod? Or, yes, you can. Uh, so yeah. he, was, uh, I'm gonna paraphrase what uh, it was when uh, uh, Amin was with the Suns and Nick Nurse was the the G League coach and and like they were teaching defense and and uh, I already know where you're going all, with this. Yeah, it was always having a help come off the strong yeah. side corner and like yeah. what are we doing? You don't help off the strong side corner and and uh, Amin. That motherfucker's never passing the ball. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But that's, actually, just to paraphrase again. The, it, the rule still exists. You you don't easily leave a corner shooter uh, to help a driver because that corner shooter typically is going to be a very good player in the NBA. But you can in the G League because that guy driving does not want to pass the ball to the corner shooter. It could be Seth Curry. Eh, 20% chance he's going to get the pass to the corner. And, and on that thought, I talked to a point guard today who thought he might spend some time in the G League this year, maybe a lot of time. And so far, no, he's playing a lot for his NBA team. And he watched a, a former teammate, his, I guess, or maybe just a friend in the G League the other night. He was like, oh, my God, is that hard to watch? I'm like, dude, I have to watch it all the time. What are you telling me for? He said, oh, my, they just don't play the right way at all. I said, I know. And they're not getting coached to because those coaches are so afraid to get trouble. If you really empower your G League coach, you'll get a much better product from these young guys. Those kids want to be coached. If this is not the topic of this podcast. Oh, well, no, but there, but there's, there's, a, there's a question I want, there, there, there's a question I want to ask you. Yeah. Because, um, the hard part about the G league as a developmental league is a lot of what you're saying. Um, some of it's the structure. I mean, the fact that there's only, you know, you only have the two, two way guys and, and you don't really have any, you have connection to the team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But can, because of the is this is the player pool different enough that you can actually first of all you can't really replicate because i think I've, the biggest thing is i think there's just not enough quality bigs for it to play like nba style basketball and second of all like guys in the g league aren't actually when they're in, in a g league setting they're not actually playing a role as they would play in the nba because if they're good enough to be an nba role player like they'd this, be doing you know, it yeah. well and well also if they're good enough to be an nba role player they get enough to score 35 shots. in the yeah, G League. Exactly. Yeah, right. No, it's a great point. I watched the Santa Cruz Warriors play the other day to see James Weissman. And they, they, they have, you'll see like the vestigial remains of the, of the uh, we call it the Cuisinart. It's, it's, you know, you can see some glimpses of all players getting into the pinch post and running their split cuts. It's pretty, it's pretty rare. Um, development is, Gerard uh, and I talk about this all the time in the NBA. Um, I, I, I don't think we're at the, uh, I think our league is the most talented it's ever been in the history of basketball. 
I don't feel that way about coaches, Seth. I don't think we have, uh, and they might be able. I don't see them being as willing to coach as they have been in, in years past for lots of different reasons that I don't think it would be surprising to anyone. And we need to get back to that. That's on management. That's on ownership to empower the coaches to coach. And I think when that happens, you see much more connected teams. Um, uh, Yudoka last year, making you know, going with Horford and Robert Williams and having Robert Williams play center field. There are some coaches that would be afraid to make that move, especially as rookie coaches. And it clearly paid off very well for them. We need more of that. You got to empower these guys. And if they can't do it, find someone else. But you got to give them a chance to coach. Um, Seth, do you think you, you you actually have in your book is quite a lot of analysis of like up against the clock moments. Um, do you feel like NBA coaches are screwing that up frequently or do you feel like they generally get it right? I think it's, it's hard. And I think there's a lesson from football in that, you know, why the coaches have the, you know, the laminated cards that have 7,000 plays. It's, it's because they've studied all week to, to figure out, all right. Our, their tendency in this situation is to do this. So we're going to counter that tendency by our best play is this other thing. Now in the moment, you've got 10 seconds to make that decision. You can't recall the 250 plays in your playbook. It's like, no, you wrote it down that, you know, I've already decided that in this situation, I'm doing this. And I don't think that enough of that happens in basketball. I think, you know, Teams may practice special situation, but I'm not sure that there's sort of the, you know, we're on the bus on a baseball trip and everyone's sitting around and, uh, all right, what do you do? It's a one out first and third down one seventh inning, uh, closers not available tonight. Do you send the runner on a short fly ball to, you know, and, and all these kind of situational scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 my sense is that we don't like get the mental flashcards of making those decisions with all the permutations of time score fouls to give timeouts left to be able to understand, okay, no, this is a spot where we need a three. This is a spot we need to foul. This is a spot where a whole playbook is open. And I, and so the, the situations come up and then you're trying to calculate all these things in the moment and it's too much information to parse. And so you just kind of revert to, you revert to some sort of baseline type. And, and quite often I think that those are, you know, suboptimal options and i'll i know dave's gonna have interesting thoughts here but like i i'll tell you that i would posit that in our mix of suboptimal options um that there's an under exploration of things that if they go badly the coach gets blamed <laughs> so by that i mean uh if the nets are down two and hold for the final shot and miss it like everybody's talking about steve nash the next day right his well, fucking more right yeah this well, it was october 27th whole different that, world that's his but, proof um, yeah um where, whereas if you and then this is you know this came up a lot i wrote this story years ago about hero ball right basically like a but several coaches kind of said to me on the download like look the, if you give the ball to the guy who makes 27 million dollars a year and he misses no one talks about you but if he passes to Derek fisher uh to pick a random person and he misses right. everyone talks about you so like there's just kind of like a job preservation component to the decision set um fair yeah. Yeah. Seth's nodding his head. It's a, yeah. it's a podcast, no. Seth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a, a visual video. Uh, <laughs> no, I think this is, I mean, this is something that comes up a lot, like across sports sort of the, yeah. just, you know, you, you're never, 
you don't stick, you know, you don't stink out if you, if you just abide by the conventional wisdom, right? Even if the conventional wisdom is demonstrably inferior, I don't want to say, yeah, inferior. I think yeah. wrong is the wrong word. Inferior yeah. is, is, yeah. is the better way to put it. Right. Cause it's not always black and white. All right. So l- yeah. let me dive in on this too, but I want to first say something about Seth. Um, I don't mean this to make you blush, but so Henry and I are very lucky enough to have lots of conversations uh, about these kinds of topics. We talk, you know, five, six days a week, many hours a, over the course of each week. And Seth, on this particular topic of the Durant play and many others, uh, I, I have there's a limit to my knowledge off the court. It's, it's vast. There's not much knowledge off the court. And so Henry just said that we should probably talk to, uh, well, let's just talk to Seth. <laughs> like, yeah, just like, he's like, we, we should just call Seth, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's exactly what we should do. It's like when you sign that document saying you'll go to mediation or whatever. It's like, right. oh yeah, we'll go to the mediator. It's fine. But, yeah, we'll be fine. That's totally my great. point. Yeah. But my point is, <laughs> raise my rates. Yeah, my, you do. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, my point is, we have a lot of names we could list right there, Seth. We know a lot of yeah. people. Um, and when he said your name, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So we greatly value your judgment. Yeah. So now that I've led with that. I'm, oh, not, no. I'm not pulling it. No, no, no. I'm not, <laughs> I don't play dirty pool this way. No, no. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question when one time me and Henry were talking and we're like, we should just call Seth, but we were busy. We couldn't do it. So there was a time this year, recently, Henry, but last couple of weeks where the Blazers uh, were up like two or three late in the game, but not like last second, like last 30 seconds or so where Damian Lillard stayed in the game and they were on defense. Mm-hmm. And so my, when he said, like, you know, Henry very, you know, very casually just asked, like, what, what would the thinking there be, being that he's a bad defender? And I said, well, I'm, I can only guess it's because he's a money free throw shooter. They're going to they're going to they're going to foul the rebounder. And if he can make a quick outlet to Damien, they'll foul Damien, which is great. I want. I, so we said we should probably talk to Seth. So, Seth, what are your thoughts on leaving a very I don't, I'm not calling out Damien Lillard. I just X, Y, Z, leave a terrible defender in the game because he's a brilliant and clutch late game free throw shooter what are your thoughts on that it's funny because i think i was probably watching the same game and i bumped <laughs> on the same thing except it wasn't lillard i was like why is it why is anthony simon yeah. still in the game he's yeah. gotten a little just, better though i think he's a little yeah, better but but i think you know i yeah i, I think that, that so what do you do it, on that um i think this is one of the things that uh so remember when 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 Lob City Clippers and teams would start to play Hack and DeAndre. Yep. And there'd be these these long stretches where every possession DeAndre Jordan's just going to the free throw line, and for some reason Jamal Crawford's in the game, hmm. and it just used to drive me nuts because <laughs> you're not you're you're not playing offense, you're only playing defense here, right. and and so I think that that. That's one that's maybe a little more defensible in that, especially if you've kind of closed with the same group, bringing a guy cold off the bench, I can kind of see why why that can be. You might not want to do that. But situationally, I think that that um, I would like to see coaches more consistently. Now, Lillard is a, is, is a special case because I think you're right that there's the, well, I got to get the ball and get fouled and, and, and do that thing. Uh, but the second bad defensive guard, you, surely you can you can. <laughs> and and if I remember the game correctly, actually, um, this was a game that, that Lillard hit a game winner, wasn't it? And um, Simons got hit with a pin in screen and they and the the opposition, I forget who they're playing, got like a wide open corner three. 
and and drained it and then they needed a little little to hit the game winner to yeah. actually win it and then like got away with it kind of but it's like the, the, this thing that you were worried about happening like you know this very small guard got plastered on the screen you gave up the one <laughs> shot that can beat you um, yeah yeah, they, yeah there's a lot of games where, where simons has been caught on a pin in the screen uh <laughs> and it's not and it's not just because he's slight there's there that's all footwork as you know um Try try screening Corey Brewer. He weighs 125 pounds, but he was <laughs> very slippery. So uh, you couldn't screen him. I, I actually talked to Corey today about that. He is. Uh, it was a pride thing. Like it was all about footwork and timing. And it's amazing these offensive players, Seth, are so damn smart. Where when you're chasing with pace around a screen, they just stop, and it's very very hard not to hit them. So it's I have to teach these players. I have to help guys defend those kinds of actions against Curry and Luka and all these great shooters or scorers. And you've, it's all about angles. You have to make sure that if they stop, it's just like a car. You know, sometimes you're driving, you lose track just a little bit, and the car in front of you starts to kind of stop short, and you kind of have to pull to the side a little bit because you're not sure your brakes will really work. But that's what you got to do when someone like that is you're chasing. You got to kind of angle to the side because if you hit them, they're definitely calling a foul. It's hard to do, uh, which, is, which goes back to something Henry and I talk about all the time and what you alluded to earlier, Seth. That's why I wish we'd run more action at the end of games and not just play hero ball. Make that you have to, the problem, Henry, I already know the answer. They don't practice it enough. They practice it in training camp. Whereas in high school, you end every practice with, you know, five situations. That's how you should end every single practice in high school and college pretty much is situation, 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 situation. They don't do that in the NBA because they don't practice that, that way. Their games are practice in a sense, but I wish they would do that because these actions are hard to guard. And instead, they make it simple with, here's our best player dribbling for 11 seconds. And he's great, but I, I don't think we get great results out of that. Go ahead, Seth. So I, I think I would put a little twist on it. I yeah. think that, that, that maybe we, like, there's too much focus on, all right, we're down three. We got to blah, blah, blah. It's just like, okay, we need a three. We need a two. We need to foul the shooter. We need just these, these broad concepts. And then you can, you can, apply whichever one matters the most in the given situation. And that's sort of what I mean by was talking earlier about not getting the mental reps of making the decision, which of those to call on. Yeah. Because that's the other part of, and that's from a coaching standpoint, knowing yeah. which of those to call yeah. on in a given situation. Yeah. And, and so that's a way that, that you can actually, the other reason why I don't think those that gets done enough is I, is that's those kind of special situations, the set pieces as, as yeah. people would say, set in soccer, pieces, right. are, are time inefficient. In, in, in limited practice time and you it too, but if you right. generalize them a little more, then they become more time efficient and probably worth spending mm -hmm. time on. Yeah. That sounds smart. So yeah. on this topic, this is a, this is a favorite topic of mine because yeah. the very end of game, that's a, that's a, maybe a slightly different situation. Cause again, you're playing the clock almost as much as you are the, 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 you know, the, the, the offense. Why do teams, I, this, this is, you know, I've been doing some. I've been doing some uh, some research on on clutch play just for 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 my own edification, and uh, by some measure, like last year's Celtics team was the worst clutch team of the oh, last decade. Wow. <laughs> wow! And some of that some of that is just bad luck, right? Mm. But if your if your offense with starting with six minutes on the clock and you're up turns into I'm going to hold the ball up at the top right. of the floor till there's ten on the shot clock every time. Of course, your offense is gonna. Why? 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 
well, control tell me, I. We talked about this. Yeah. We talked about this with Team USA yeah. Soccer. You know, they, they, we, Gerard understand it better than me, but I guess we had we scored one goal and our back line backed off instead of staying up, which which is riskier. But you're also a better chance to score a second goal and kind of end the game. Uh, I I'm on your side, Seth. I think it's a mistake to change anything until my rule is always two minutes or less. Don't think about the clock until two minutes to go. Uh, but it, we we deal with this all the time. Like this well, we said the, you're, you're talking about their dribble out the first half of the possession, though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I would never do that until two minutes to go, and then I start thinking about the clock. David and I started talking about this a ton when LeBron was still in Cleveland the first time. And it was like, what is he doing with 14 seconds? Like, why is he just looking right. at everybody standing still? And, like, you know, and the answer is that he's doing some chess, right? Like, he's he, he's moving we, this we, guy. We, yeah, and the, right. but, but it's, yeah, you, you give up a lot for that chess, well, right? Pri- like, Prime LeBron can do that. Prime LeBron right, can do right. that. And nobody else. Like, and, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, as good as Jason Tatum has become, I think we saw in the finals last year that he's not prime LeBron. And that's not like, ooh, we're hating on Jason. No, it's like, okay, he, he is not one of the two or three best players to ever play the game. I, and that I, was what Mark okay. Smart was mad about in midseason, right? He was like, we're not a hero ball team, right? Like, what the hell? Like, we can't just do it. And, you know, so actually David's been on the warpath this season that basically, like, scheme is coming, right? Like Tactics Europe, are coming. coming tactics back. are yeah. coming, right? Like, yeah. in, in Europe, they can't get easy buckets with just skill. And here we can. Right. But, like, but... I think, you know, the Warriors are sort of the case study and like, well, if you have a superstar who can do it all and you use tactics, so much the better, right? And so now you got to be better than that, right? So, um, so you, you brought up, more. You, br- you brought up James, watching James Wiseman earlier. Yeah. And I think James Wiseman could not have gone to a worse team for him. For sure. Because you say ta- the, the thing with the Warriors is, there's not actually that many players who can play for the Warriors because they probably play on both ends of the court about the highest volume of decisions per whatever time period of any team in the league. Oh, I rank them number one for that. Yeah. Yeah. More reads than anyone per possession. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a, there, there's a, a limited set of players that I think can perform some, some good players have gone there and just not been able to like Kelly Oubre basically couldn't function there. Right. Mm-hmm. Kelly Oubre, you define a role for him can be a decent NBA player. Super athletic. Yeah. yeah. James, body, James yeah. Wiseman, you use him like Clint Capella. I bet we'd think a lot different of him if he went to a traditional you yeah. know, pick and roll dive dunk situation. We, I but just because- said this. Yeah. I just said this the other on the air and I think I even tweeted it. Um, I don't remember if I tweeted or not, but, uh, they, he should be Brooke Lopez. He actually can shoot. He should be Brooke Lopez. I mean, he can't be Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is a 35-year-old veteran. But, keep, but drop coverage, uh, be a beast around the rim, and uh, don't post him up a bunch. Don't run split cuts with him. He can't read the game. Like a lot of guys can't read the game. And then you could always – he wants to be Joel Embiid. But that's got to take – that's a long time from now, James. You haven't played in three you years. You should limit the menu of – Keep it very – I wrote an article about it two years – right before he got hurt last year. Keep yeah. it simple and let him get a foundation of success. But it's now Seth in the G League, he ain't passing that ball unless eight guys are on him. Well, and this happened with DeAndre Ayton, right? Like he had a very complicated right. set of First opportunities year. and they just limited right. the list and he got much better. He got much better as soon as they made it simple. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm still reeling from the comparison of James Wiseman to Brooke Lopez, who like the, the genius of Brooke Lopez is his ability to read the game and, and, you know, 
guard two at once. And Eric name at the athletic wrote a great article about Brooke Lopez again today. And I think, Oh, I have to see that. Oh, I I need to see that. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been banging, banging the drum about, you know, how good Brooke Lopez has been defensively for four years. But Seth, he's, he's the guy that he's my model when I work with young bigs on drop coverage. It's all, it's all Brooke Lopez all the time. If you can teach that I've done it. And players have gone from being horrendous in drop coverage to stupendous or at least very good because it's just what you're saying. They're not, they're not all huge like Brooke Lopez. James Wiseman actually is. He's a gigantic. I talked to one of his teammates recently. He's an enormous man. It's going to take a lot of time, but I, there's a better chance he learns to be Brooke Lopez on both ends. Light. I'm not saying he'll be Brooke Lopez again. Brooke's 37, 35 years old, whatever, but there's better chance to do that before he's Joel Embiid. Or or Draymond or Green. Draymond Green was just yeah. gonna say that yeah he ain't making those reads yeah yeah I mean just just the distance he's got to go to be to be the Kevon Looney is right well that that's I was gonna say Kevon to your point uh, people who know Kevon I don't think he's a genius like a basketball genius he's from Milwaukee yeah baby yeah. KD in Milwaukee and so yeah no surprise that he fits so good in fact I just saw today I think that's the number one points per pick and roll duo in the league is. Curry and Looney and Looney doesn't have many of those points. <laughs> no, he's, he's so important to them. He, he is like, I think um, that this is part of why I was very intrigued by the matchup with the Suns that never really came to be last year is one of the big places where Phoenix may have had an advantage was if Aiton, you know, when Aiton decides to play with force, if he could have gotten Looney into foul trouble, yeah, that would have compromised the Warriors on both ends of the floor. And but we just we never really got a chance to see we you know they played three times right around Christmas and one of the games that's what happened and that was the game Phoenix won yeah uh, and we, we didn't get a chance to see that in the playoffs but interesting do you, do you think Seth that doesn't happen enough when when I was a young coach that was part of our strategy all the time if we felt there was an opportunity to get into someone's depth they just didn't have two or three if they have two or three really good players getting one guy in foul trouble you're probably going to waste your time but if there's just one dominant guy we've got to have a strategy. We used to talk about get one offensive rebound foul on him. Let's get one illegal legal screen call on him. And let's get one charge call in the first half. We get those three things, we got a chance. Like that's what we always would talk about. So I don't see that in the NBA nearly as much. It happens, but it's almost like an accent. What do you think, Seth? Um, this, this makes me think of, of I don't know why, uh, the 95 uh, NCAA tournament where I think it was the third round UCLA was playing Alabama. Oh and this, this is an UCLA with Tyson and Alabama <laughs> yeah, had Antonio yeah, McDice. Yeah. yeah. And like in the first four possessions of the game, Tyus Edney broke his guy down, got in the lane, got fouled by, by McDice. Oh, that was the tournament. Oh, Cameron Dollar, that was the tournament. Cameron Dollar won the champ, national championship for UCLA. Yeah. yeah 95. After, yeah. Uh, yeah. After, after Tyus went down. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was at the final four that year. In yeah. Seattle. Um, but that was also the year where, where he had, he went full court against Missouri in like three seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but he basically, the game was over three minutes in because he got the two fouls on. Yeah. And this was when coaches would still felt like in, in the, take him out right away. Foul, yeah. Foul his own player, his own <laughs> best player out. Um, does that drive you it, crazy as an analyst, by the way, when it, coaches, it really when coaches foul their players so, long before they're fouled out. So there's situation. So Carl Anthony Towns picks up fouls, get him out. Cause he can't, he, he he'll keep fouling. Out, you so, think? Yeah. 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 Um, that's the one a, that's a really the good one that insight made, right The here. one that, that, that boggles my mind is when like your backup four, who's going to play 13 minutes yeah. comes in, I'm picks up you. two fouls. You're like, Oh, okay. So he fouls out. You don't have him. Yeah. So I'm what? so with you on that. Great. Yeah. It's great. If he fouls out. <laughs> yeah. 
no yeah. problem at all. It's like hey, it's like if they have a hard fast rule. It makes no sense. Yeah. So can we talk about two for one for a second? So um, as a little background, um, at one of the early Sloan conferences, uh, Daryl Morey goes in this little thing, standing in the hallway, about how like, you know, most of what we're talking about isn't sufficient data to support like right or wrong answers. And I was like, well, what is there enough? And he said, well, two for one, because at the end of every quarter, there's a, a scenario that we can see. End of every quarter of every game, playoffs, regular season, like I think two for one, we, we really kind of know what the right thing is. And, you know, 12 years later or whatever it is now, you know, many teams are pretty studious about like getting that shot up. Most. 31 seconds left or whatever yeah. it is. Most um, Yeah. Not everyone, but most. And most, uh, yeah. But then, then, so this is like, arguably a little flag for like, you know, the stats have influenced the game. And Seth, who were, who were nominating as a referee of all such things, says that he thinks it's total bullshit, which is amazing. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, I think it's overblown. Cause there's another, there was an, uh, Jeff Van Gundy was on the, or it might've been Daryl. No, it was Jeff Van Gundy who was on, who was on uh, stage at Sloan and, and, you know, was asked, okay, fine. This is good. What's it, how much is it worth? And, and what he I don't remember exactly what he said, but I think it was similar. I've, I've kind of done the study and basically made some estimates about how often you can do it and some percentages about like what kind of shots you're going to get in various situations. It's worth maybe a win every two years, two wins every three years. So it's like, it's not nothing, but it's like. It's not much. Yeah. So Seth, hold on. You're saying two bad shots is not better than one good one. It, it. It depends on how bad the bad shots are. Yeah. Okay. That's what I want to hear. The qualifier. Yeah. 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 Like if you've got, if you know, the, the, like the teams that, that used it well are the teams that, you know, it's Dame Lillard, it's Kyle Lowry, it's Steph Curry. These are players who could reliably just dribble down, get you a 32% three pointer at mm-hmm. with 32 on the clock, just every time. And yeah. it's like, yeah, you have an, you have an advantage. Now what, what you end up doing is, is, is some teams end up coming down and taking like, what is a, theoretically like a 24% three pointer or, or they do it too late on the clock or something like that. And then you're just completely. So if you, if, if a coach decides, I don't think we can execute that. I, you know, it would be good, better if you could, but I don't think they're giving much away if they're wrong and they could execute it. I don't think they're yeah. giving much away. And, and so, it's probably again, back to time efficiency. I think you more, you want, worth, if you have Chris Paul, you want him to know this. Yes. Right. That's that's where it applies. Right. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have Chris Paul, then sorry. You know, well, it's it, like, it, it I mean, you tell Chris Paul, hey, if we get we, we need to get a decent shot with 32 on the clock. And it's like, yeah. good. I got it from here. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. he's like flying at the rim and the defense is freaked out because Chris Paul and then, you know, he's popping it out to some easy. You know, he's he's going to work it out in his brain yeah. so that it's very advantageous yeah. for your team. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I have a more question for Seth. I know, Henry, you've got something. I want to ask you this, Seth. Um, so. I don't think this is happening in the NBA, but I'm wondering if you think it ever could. And that is this. Uh, When I work with point guards, I have what I call the rule of four. And the rule of four simply is if on three straight half court possessions, if we take a bad shot as determined by either me, the coach or you, the point guard, it ain't happening a fourth time. We, we better run something that we trust can get us a good look. We're not score, but we're going to get a good look. And I want that to come from, the analytics department. I want them to tell, just like we talked about the Looney Curry pick and roll is the most efficient two man. I want someone to inform the point guard. Here's our five best things you can run in this order in this particular game. 
and when we don't score three straight times in the half court, or, we, or if we score, but it's a bullshit shot, a bank or three, that doesn't count. Like we got to get a, because you start getting steamrolled. The other team starts getting real confidence and three misses becomes five becomes six becomes nine. And now you're down 18 to four and you're really in trouble. So give, give me your thoughts on that from the analytics side. Uh, I, I like get, getting more responsibility, but this is, this is a tough one mm. because it's actually um, figuring out the, essentially you're not, you're, you're getting away from wanting to see because there, there, there aren't that many actions that we run a ton of times a year. So the, well, we ran this five, four times and scored eight points. Okay. Well, you right. mentioned banked in a three. I mean, you could have gotten yeah. terrible shots and they just happened to go in. Right. So you're really trying to, to, which, what, did, which possession did we get good situations, good shots from? And that's a little harder because then you have to sort of define programmatically what you mean by an action. And that's even with the tracking data we have, you know, there's been a paper every year at Sloan just about where it's like, you know, play matching from tracking data. Yeah. And it's, it's, and, and they're actually in, to my eye, they're getting worse. Like okay, we're, we're, we're getting further away from being able to do this. And, and what about targeting? What about targeting defenders as part of that? Mm. Like if they have a weak defender on the court, make sure on the fourth possession we're going after the weakest defender, which is something I say all the time to them. I mean, I, I think I think if a team has a has a scheme that allows them to do that, like I remember a couple of years ago in the playoffs, uh, the Suns when they were playing the Nuggets, I believe, yeah, and they were like. You know, they they weren't necessarily running actions to get Porter Jr.'s guy a shot, but they're looking to put him in a situation where he had to make a decision defensively. Yeah. And and it, it would, you know, they it, so okay, we know we know the key defender on this play is actually guarding the person who sets the the you know the the wedge screen at the at the start or something like yeah. that. Oh, Porter Jr. That's who Porter Jr. That's where we're, we're that's what we're going to run, and we get a dunk out of it or something like that. Yeah. So I think there is something to that, but I think that um, the definitional aspect of it to be able to figure out, like, I think one the most powerful, you know, phrase in analytics is, I don't know. And this is sort of the ones like, what are our best actions? It's like, you know, I can maybe, okay, maybe when we run horn sets, we right. get good shot quality. But if you want to, if you want me to say, well, we get better stuff out of horns dive than horns twist. Like, right. Have no, we, that's a little too specific. I hear yeah. you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, this is a slight change topic, but in your book, you mentioned casually, and we've talked about it on the show before, that it costs about $3 million for a regular season win in the NBA. It's going um, up. It's going up. Then there's a little footnote. Um, so it doesn't like, you know, but the playoff win is like incalculable. And there's a footnote that says like, actually we could totally calculate that, but that's not what we're doing right now. <laughs> but um, with Stephen Lardy on the show, we've kind of ruminated about how it is quite difficult to calculate because well anyway it's difficult the regular rules of relation don't apply but how would you go about that wow um i mean it, it's it's the there's so many things you have to define just like what is the what is the value you're putting on like even relative to a regular season like how many regu- what is the value relative to a regular season win of advancing from the first to second round of the playoffs? And how are you so what are even the units we're talking about here? Are we talking or are we just talking about championship equity? And for championship equity, like we only care about four teams anyway, because the rest of them, it's, it's nice. You made the second round. And then you got 
you know, windshielded by the team that ends up winning the title. <laughs> um, so windshielded that's a terribly bad verb you don't want to get windshielded <laughs> like at all like, yeah. but like you know so like oh, what i pick your player yeah. but you know get gary payton the second is was super good in the playoffs like which is does what to his market value compared to well the problem the is been in the regular season you know the, 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 i mean the problem is I mean, the fact that he's that that he appeared appears to be playable in the playoffs doesn't hurt mm-hmm. um however it's how much of that was situational, both his own situation. I think Golden State was a, you know, mentioned about, um, you know, Wiseman being a bad fit. Like Gary, everyone in the league is, has, has, knows what Gary Payton, the second can do, but the things he can't, he can't do held him back until he got to a situation where he didn't have to do the things like he's okay. He's a, a point to guard size guy who can't really run an offense. and isn't a great shooter, especially from the top of the floor. Okay, well, we'll we'll play him like a small forward on offense, and and have him it, 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 because we've got ball handlers elsewhere, and have him you know dog point guards and with some and, with some cameos as a five, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and the dunk spot, yeah, the, the you know the Bruce Brown memorial, like right. play this guy in a weird <laughs> spot, yeah. Um, so there's the, his value was specific to that, but also who they're playing against. I mean, if they're you know how valuable is Gary Payton the second if you're playing Philly. I mean, I, you know, I seven. guess, I guess now, I guess now, it would be, but, but, like, <laughs> He's but like, you know, pre, pre Harden and when Max, before Maxi kind of had emerged when like Philly's offense Benny was Embiid. Joel Embiid, like, what, yeah. what is it? What, yeah. what, what's that for? Is he going to, you know, you're going to have, you're going to stick him on, you know, Shane Milton <laughs> right, and that's, right. that's going to swing the series. Right. That's right. a great point. So, so that, that's, that's, that's the problem with, with like playoff analysis. And one of the, this is a, um, a pet peeve of mine is after the first round, they're like, Oh, they have the, the, they have the best defensive rating of any team in the playoffs. Well, yeah, they, they played the same team. Like the reason you use rating is like it, across, it's like a measure of like what you've done against the whole league, like a right. reasonably good sample across the whole league. If we, if you no, know, you know, my last year in Milwaukee, we played Detroit in the first round and that was the year Blake was great. And then got hurt before the playoffs, so we beat them by about 133 points in right. in four games. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, well, like the Bucks were the best team in the first round. They had a net rating of plus 93. It's like, yeah, but we played a team that was out on its feet, that was that right. like, dragged into the playoffs. What does that mean about anything compared to you know these other teams that have you know a four five matchup where two pretty good teams have? How do, how can you say we played better than either of those teams? Right. Okay, okay, okay. So let's pretend that I'm an impetuous billionaire. And I've called you into my office because I you want have like that a, look about you. I do. I feel that way. Um, let's say um, I just want a multiple, right? Like stats in the playoffs are worth 1.5, 4, 8x, like stats in the regular season. What, what, what's your. I mean, what stats are we talking about? I mean, are well, we, are we I, talking about counting stats? Who cares? I'm an impetuous billionaire, Seth. Yeah. I don't have to answer that question. I just, <laughs> I just need you. Like, I basically like, a, you know, a bucket, uh, whatever, like, but um if we had so right now i think that most stats programs count it as one they're the same right um that's probably wrong what would no, be I right i mean I, I think most we mostly just like ignore the playoffs yeah or ignore or zero no, <laughs> just wipes clean because it's, yeah. because it's such a because it's it, it is a because of the 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 you know playing the same team playing a, the the with the different travel and it is a you know, they, they say the game changes. The game changes in the playoffs. It's a different game, different players, different skills. 
And so we're not, we're not working with the same, the same units of measurement. So it's, it's, it's like, that's a separate, now what we can say is that the value of the best players rises. And as you get sort of the top of the pyramid, this is, you know, uh, I've done this reach and and really the person who turned me out of this was Kevin Pelton was, you know, you start to get like, you know, a guy who is the difference between the, 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 the fifth best and 10th best player is just massively more than the difference between the 25th and 30th best player Mm -hmm. in terms of how much champ, like put in terms of championship equity, in terms of championship equity, they give you because you get to that very top of the pyramid of like concentrated value in one player. Um, And I, you know, there's a lot of theories as to why this could be, but it's demonstrable. And so that's, you know, you like, all right, do I want one, do I want a, a, a dollar or four quarters in the playoffs? You want the dollar. Because the dollar's worth a buck fifty. So but the three million we're starting with the three million per win number, which comes from pretty simple math, right? Like right. um we know how much the league spends. We know right. there's twelve hundred thirty wins out there. Right. Yeah. Um, but we forgot the playoffs. <laughs> like what yeah. if we unforgot the playoffs, right? What if we stuck them in there, like you know, well, do, we, I we mean, can carve it up in some fashion, no? So I get credit for for so Gary Payton gets credit for being on a being standing next to Steph Curry. So he was, he was, you know, he was there to play in four playoff rounds. Well, I mean, you know, this is a th- credit, the thing you could say about all of plus minus stats, right? Like, but, yeah. you know, so we have a well, small but, sample no, size have, problem. We, have, like, we do, right? We but, do. But our techniques with the plus minus stats attempt to control for that. Right. And they do a decent job of that. But in terms of how far your team advances, that is, you know, especially for role players, you have some impact on that, but that's like, is am I playing next to Steph Curry or Bradley Beal as the best player? Right. So of course, acknowledged. You know, these will not be good numbers, like you know, bettable numbers. But like you know, nevertheless, we have to make these kinds of calls. Like with these crappy inputs, people still have to build their rosters, right? So as they do so, would you? I'm, and you know, I'll drop it now. But like, but like, you know, do you feel like it's roughly, you know? unusable playoff stats or do you feel like someone performing well in the playoffs is worth a little more than playing well in the regular season? I think I, this is one of those ones where like I could give you a number, but you're kind of asking me to lie to you. I want you to much rather. And I would much rather say, you know, this, okay, here's some skill sets that tend to translate to the playoffs and here are like, okay, you know, I wrote about this in the book, but like kind of the below the rim interior big is, is a, is a skill set that, you know, you can play some bully ball in the regular season. Doesn't work in the playoffs. Uh, so okay, maybe that. But you know, you keep at this at the on the flip side, you can never have a have enough athletic, versatile six six guys. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's no situation where oh man, it's too bad we have that fifth good wing. That's no one said no one ever in the playoffs. That's why, that's why Masami hasn't traded any of his guys. Yeah, all yeah. those wings. But it's still situational. Stephen Adams was huge in the Warriors series when it made them go bigger. Kevon Looney is, is the classic undersized, not even so big. Um, so yes, that's why you're saying it's situational. Uh, excuse it, but I, I have to make a suggestion to you, Seth. Uh, I have very, very few good ideas as to what the average person would want to read, but I know I want to read a Seth Bartnow column or podcast where you tell us your pet peeves. Oh, that yeah. would be fascinating. Yeah. I am down yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. Tell Agreed. whomever. I am oh, down hey, well, for that. We are, we are approaching Festivus. So. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. I got a lot of problem with you people. <laughs> right, let's go. As soon as you go to Seinfeld route, I'm in. I was already in. 
There's a fun little detour in your book, um, Midrange Theory, where um, who would win? Someone asked you in your job, uh, who would win a game of five centers versus five point guards? <laughs> and uh, it did hurt my head a little bit just to even think about it. But I thought maybe you and David would want to discuss that now. <laughs> well, who are the centers and point guards? No, it, it's it. It's it's just you know average center average point guard five of them against five of them like who does who uh, like like it, it it was sort of because you know there's a lot of situations in basketball we'd like to analyze but because people are have over you know a hundred years of basketball have gotten pretty smart about things we kind of don't have the comparison of the really dumb things to look at <laughs> like the big the big place where this is coming up now is this is something that that. Daryl Morey's talked about a lot. And I think we're seeing it this year. Offensive rebound rate is way up. Mm-hmm. And this is something like with certainly with the tracking data, you can, you can start to identify places where actually we can be aggressive there and not compromise our, our transition. Defense. Right. However, that analysis is made difficult by the fact that for the most part, NBA players are pretty smart and they don't, they don't crash the boards really stupidly. So you, there's, there's not, a, there's not a comparison of, well, if I, like, we know, okay, I'm the, uh, we're, we're playing like a one, four low. Someone shoots from the corner. I'm the point guard at the top. I think we know that I can't crash the offensive boards there. <laughs> right. And, you know, I remember Zach Levine doing it once when he was a rookie, but other than that, it's like not something that happens. <laughs> there was this one time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that happens. So we don't like, we can't like measure the trade off there because the, the thing that seems obviously dumb just never happens. Mm-hmm. And so it's similar way, like what would five centers look like? No one has come close. To, I mean, maybe like the closest was probably like the nuggets in the, in, in the bubble when they remember when some, someone was out and they were, they were, they, they were just like starting like bowl bowl and Jokic and, and Plumlee. Um, and this was in like the, the, the regular season games, which is the closest I can remember it coming. Maybe like the, have the, the the magic played some just enormous line, but even there, those aren't like five centers. No, like, Milwaukee's but, Milwaukee's gone Giannis, Portis, and Lopez this year. Yeah, yeah, and, and we we and listen, Seth, you're preaching to the choir, buddy, because at, at True Hoop we've been pushing this idea of teams going bigger, not smaller, playing two centers at the same time, like McGee and uh, Aiton last year for Phoenix and a few others, but. All of your fancy words are meant to disorient dumb ball coaches like me. What's your answer? Because I know what I'm saying. My intuition is the point guards. My me too, man. To I'm be. all in on the point guards. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Jose Alvarado would have 8,000 steals <laughs> against any big man you choose that's average. Giannis is different, right? There's some tall guys that he wouldn't. But those guys can't get the ball past half court against those little quick dudes. And they can shoot threes. It's not even close. They'll get, they'll get beat up on the glass for sure. But you can fight. Like a big, you just face face guard as much as you well, can. You plus, block guys out. Plus, little guys are allowed a lot of liberties with big guys. That is true. To, to, that, tends to be. As someone who's coached a lot of big men, it pisses me off. Like, like Jeff Van Gundy hanging off Alonzo Morning's leg. Right. Yeah. <laughs> big men do let get me, punished. So a lot. let me ask you something. This is this is something that that, that, that that's come up. Um, we've seen a lot of, I think, pretty questionable uh, offensive and especially flagrant fouls called, where defenders are basically drawing fouls with their face. And I was kind of always taught growing up that you stick your face there. You break your jaw. Yeah, it's, it, it, exactly. The coach is like, you, you come in there, you get your jaw broke. That's right. It's what, 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 what coach said to me. And, and, yep. uh, and like, 
can we is there something we can do to like that should frankly yeah you get hit in the face but you fouled him with your face right instead of it being yeah. like a natural basketball move but, well, isn't, but isn't that the key though seth isn't it supposed to be if, if, if i'm just naturally going up to the i'm doing this on video as if anyone's yeah. seeing it um it's it's a defensive foul but if i put my elbow out my arms out away from you know the general construct of my body well that's on the offense i thought i could ask a referee that in the nba that's what i thought it was supposed to be you're right it happens we still aren't great at 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 not punishing the defense when the offense clearly initiates contact i and i teach this so we're taking advantage of these referees that keep giving us the benefit of the doubt on that but the defense a defensive guy is sliding and you throw your elbow or shoulder into me that should not be a foul on me even though i'm not set i had my space you invaded my space that's a foul on you or no call and especially if you're a superstar it shouldn't be a foul on me because i'm six inches taller and i turn and shoot and right and like right because because you're like i'm, I'm gesturing but because your face is like at the center in of my, my chest, space yeah 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 like all of like my elbow goes like like yeah what's your face doing there right <laughs> i think um i think there's i think we're in a temporary reactionary maybe dumb phase but like there was you know when the concussion thing came to the nfl the nba hired this guy from the university of michigan i think he was and he was he enacted a whole protocol of like here's how we're going to handle concussions and they just frankly blatantly don't do it like they don't follow the protocol he, like it's supposed to be every time anyone gets significantly hit in the head they're taken back to the locker room for baseline concussion protocol testing and like that's what the lawyers said they would do that's what they said they would do and they fucking don't they didn't do it for five minutes <laughs> like and so we're in this thing where i think they need to be i think that their preferred solution is everyone's very careful not to hit lebron in the head and so they want defenders to be extra careful with those elbows. And honestly, I did I, for but a story. Le, but if LeBron like hits uh, Isaiah Stewart in the face, and nobody that's, cares, that's, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Let's well, not be ridiculous. Was, I mean, Seth. like I mean, that was that, well, that, that was that was that was a, that was a that was a night. He was he. If people don't remember, like he he was, you know, had blood pouring down his face and he yeah. wanted to get at LeBron. Oh yeah. yeah. Isaiah Stewart yeah. ran into the tunnel on the opposite side to go around the referees to go yeah. after LeBron. Yeah. He was a little cranky. Yeah. Um, but they, I did, I watched a whole, when this all started, um, I watched a season's worth of LeBron and Dwayne Wade atta attacking the rim. And like if Marcus Canby was the big man, I, he absolutely had a strategy of hitting them in the head. Like, he would ring their and like if you and it, and if you could see it like if you hit LeBron in the head really hard, which happened a lot, he wouldn't his next drive would instead of being like three minutes away it would be seven minutes away. Like it, it was a real strategy around the NBA, and they they think they're trying to unwind that right. It was effective, so I think we're in this like temporary thing of if anybody gets hit in the head, someone's getting a flagrant, and so that everybody learns not to do it, and it's stupid at times as you're finding right. I think it's stupid at times. I don't know what the right answer is. But we, they just want, like, the just, notion you know, that the you right just get your dollar wrong. I say it is. <laughs> okay, it's there you just, go. They should intuit that and just do that. I don't. We did invite you as here. the as the authority. We that is the, the the basis of your being on the show. So the wizard has spoken. <laughs> Oz has spoken. <laughs> um, all right, we have used quite a lot of time. Seth, do you have any um, parting thoughts? Any? Does, do you have any, any awards to hang out for? Any? Like, actually, we should recap just out of measure. Did the Nets win that game? I don't remember. Did they beat the Mavs? No. Oh, 
and we end with some results oriented thing. You, you want to talk about pet peeves? Results oriented thinking. I love it, that. It, yeah, when it was a good shot. There's a like, book, yeah. a podcast. There's something there, my man. Yeah, I'd love yeah, to see it. your pet peeves. Yeah, Seth's had enough of blank. Right. That's yeah, really good title right there. I've had enough. Yeah. Uh, now you're that's asking good. me to name names, and that's 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 dodgy. Well, you can only if you, you want to get back in the league. Yeah. Otherwise, just let it rip. Right. You know. Right. 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 <laughs> All right. You're right. Festus is uh, is here. We, you owe it to us. <laughs> I, I, if you're not, I bet if you don't do it, that's the grievance that I'm airing. Okay. <gasps> airing of the grievances. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's a safe place for grievances here. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Thank you, Seth. Thanks, Seth. Thank you, Thanks, guys. Thank you, Gerard, who was sort of on the show. Well, Henry, Henry pros. But thank you guys, and happy Thanksgiving to all. We'll see you next week.